Our chapter that we're studying right now is out of the book of Ezra, chapter 3, Laying the Foundation. So when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. So telling us it's the seventh month, we know that that is the beginning of the High Holy Days in the month with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And so they've gathered together for the pilgrimage feast for coming together. And so they've all come together as one man. Now, again, a little review that uh, 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 Cyrus allowed us to come back to Jerusalem after 70 years of being in Babylon. And about 42,000 people came forward and made the journey close to 900 miles and came back to Israel and began to resettle. And here we come to this point where in the seventh month, they come together to Jerusalem. Yeshua, the son of Yuzadak, and his brethren, the Kohanim, and Zerubbabel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, and as it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And so they've come, they start offering sacrifices, burnt offerings for the forgiveness of sins. And though, there, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings onto it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening burnt offerings. And they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. So they begin observing the, 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 the feast and uh, including Sukkot and the offerings that went with Sukkot each day for the seven days and even the eighth day, various different offerings that the scriptures, the Torah required. And so they began offering that as well as the morning and evening sacrifices. And so the morning and evening sacrifices had to do with, with um, just kind of God's blanket covering upon the nation. That every morning and evening there would be a sacrifice, whether you'd come to the temple, whether you had committed a sin or not, just God's mercy, God's grace, just covering the sacrifices being offered in behalf of the nation. And afterward they offered the regular burnt offering and for, the, for, the, and for the, those for the new moons and for all the appointed feasts that the Lord had that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord. And so also individuals brought offerings as well. So you had the morning and evening and all the holiday ones provided by the, by the Levites, the Kohanim, that uh, was sacrificed and given. But then also people brought their own as a free will offering or a sin offering. If they had committed a personal sin, their own sin, then they would have to bring their own lamb or their own sacrifice, depending on, 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 the, on their, their condition. And they would sacrifice it before the Lord, and it would be burnt there on the altar. And so the people are coming. They're coming as one person. They're coming and serving the Lord. The services are beginning again, and forgiveness is being provided for the nation and individually, and they're participating in this way. And again, doing it so freely. There's a free will offering, and they're coming and giving also freely and they've left Babylon freely. They chose on their own accord to come. Cyprus opened the door, and everyone had a choice whether to come or not come. Most stayed, but some came, freely came, freely choosing to come, 
and these sacrifices and giving and giving to the Lord's service was free will offering. It wasn't by compulsion. They had chosen. This is what they wanted to do. And from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not yet been laid. So the very first thing they do in building the temple is put back up the altar and begin the sacrifices there. Again, even before the foundation is laid. Nothing else is there. No doors, no walls, not even a foundation, no base to walk upon, and level ground. They said this is the most important thing, to offer offerings to the Lord, to have the burnt offerings given to the Lord. First and foremost, they understood that, they understood the importance of that, even more important than the temple itself, was to be able to have the sacrifices offered for them for forgiveness of sins. Because without the forgiveness of sins, the rest is worthless. The rest is, 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 is un, un, unimportant. You can have the menorah, you can have the Ten Commandments, but it doesn't matter without the forgiveness of sins provided for us. Because we start our lives in sin. We're born corrupt, we're born carnal. And so we have a record of sin even, even as we're being born. And so we need that forgiveness provided for us. And that's the first item that's in the sanctuary. When they come into the sanctuary, come into the courtyard, come in before the gates, into the gates, there is the brazen altar. There is the altar. And even before there was a temple, offerings were made. Abraham built altars everywhere he went. And then left them there after he left and as, a, as a testimony to God. Going all the way back to Abel and Cain and all the way back to Adam and Eve. The sacrifices were there since the time of sin. Wasn't there in the Garden of Eden. But immediately after we sinned, God provided a sacrifice. God provided a, an atonement. God provided a system where we could receive forgiveness. Where humanity could receive forgiveness. Where Adam and Eve could receive forgiveness. He set up the, the substitutionary atonement for them and they offered sacrifices. And again, here these people understood this, understood the importance of it. And it's important for us as well. We need to start our journeys with the Lord right there. Realizing God's great love for us, realizing God's provision for us, that he's given us life, that he is the creator of all things, that he brought us into this world, and that he wants good for us, and he wants us to experience eternity with him. Starts there, and then as we realize his great love for us, and we see our own lives in comparison to his great love, to his abundant mercy, his abundant care that he gives to us long before we've given to him, He's given us breath. He's given us life long before we even knew of him. Long before we knew of anything. He's given us arms and legs and minds and eyes and all the facilities of a body. Absolutely amazing. He's given us plants and food that our body can eat. He's given us water to drink. He's provided for us individually in our lives before we were born and before he created Adam and Eve he provided all of those things and then brought Adam and Eve into the world and said look at what I have for you his love is there for us 
And that should awaken a love in us. And should bring to conviction to us that everything we do is selfish. We're never giving. We're always taking. We're always wanting. Always have motives that bring it back to us. And that should bring conviction and a realization that we need forgiveness. That we need atonement. That we need to be brought back to being at one with God. And thus we start our spiritual journey with coming and confessing our sins and receiving his forgiveness that he already provided even before we asked. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Messiah gave his life for us. He first loved us. And we accept his forgiveness because of his sacrifice. So our lives need to start that way. And if your spiritual journey didn't start that way, some people come into the spiritual journey thinking, I need to become better. They realize they're not good, and they feel they need to become better before they can be accepted by God. And we start trying to reform our lives. We start trying to clean up our lives to be better than we are, or better than our neighbors, or better than someone, or as good as our parents tell us, or someone tells us we need to be. And we start trying really hard and start putting on all the religious elements, trying to obey the commandments, trying to be good, trying to be nice. And we think, well, that's all it takes. And as long as we're better than someone else, then God accepts that. As the unbiblical saying, God helps those who help themselves. And we think, well, I better help myself so that God will help me. No, God doesn't help those who help themselves. Because we can't help ourselves. We're helpless and we need him. God helps those who realize their helplessness and cry out for his help. Those are the only ones he can help. It's the only one he can deliver. It's hard to help someone who doesn't think they need help. Have you ever tried that? It's hard to give advice for someone who doesn't want advice. Can't uh, save a drowning person until they're desperate in need and realize they need help. He'll bring you down with them. And so... In our lives, we start with coming to the Lord, receiving his forgiveness. And again, if we've tried to go in some other way, then we need to just start over, even right now tonight, and just come before him and confess all your efforts. Back to again, Cain and Abel. Abel, uh, Cain trying to do it. Provide to God, give to God his own way. We need to go back and accept God's forgiveness at the burnt offering. Come in through the Messiah. Come in through his sacrifice. Come in through Calvary. And that's how we need to start every day of our lives. They had more burnt offerings, morning and evening offerings. We need to spend our days that way, starting off with the Lord, starting off with a surrender to him, starting off with accepting our death, the carnal nature, accepting the death to our sinful traits, and beginning the day that way and asking God to fill us with his spirit, with his mind, with his heart, with his will, laying all our plans at his feet, burning it up to him, giving it up to him. So we need to start our daily journey and then end the day, morning and evening sacrifices, coming before the Lord again and allow him to review our day and bring anything to mind, that any area where we neglected, any area that we sinned, any area that we offended him or anyone, and surrender that to the Lord. So we close off the day 
with God's forgiveness, with God's grace, with God's goodness. That's why that burnt offering was so important. To be able to start their building, to be able to start their days and end their days. And we also need to start our process. And if you're not on that, a morning and evening devotion time with the Lord, then I encourage you to, to by God's grace, because we can't even do that on our own power, but by God's grace, allow him to empower you to start that process in your life. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the, uh, to the sea to Joppa according to the permission which they had had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So they also gave. They also gave financially. They also gave money. They gave their time. They gave their lives. They left everything behind. I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision. Outside of God told us to do it. He said after 70 years, go back. But it was a whole lot nicer in Persia at this point. They had buildings. They had roads. They had jobs. They had careers. They had food. To leave all that and to travel a perilous journey. We already read there was fear of those that were surrounding them. So they knew the difficulties that were there. So they traveled through unfriendly territory and came to what? A desolate city with no farms, no food, no agriculture, no commerce, no jobs waiting for them. They didn't leave a poverty area for a rich area. They left a rich area for a poverty place. No guarantee of success other than the Lord's promise. And they gave themselves. They gave up their jobs. They gave up their homes. They gave up their careers that they had had for 70 years. Established in the land. And Jeremiah had commanded them, while you're in Babylon... Build homes, marry, and prosper. And they did. But a faithful few left and came, and not only left all there, at great loss. And again, no prospect of income, but then gave of their money when they got there as well for the temple of the Lord, for the building up of the house of the Lord. These 42,000 or so people we're sacrificing all. We're dedicated to God. We're consecrated to God. Put the spiritual things first, again, and before the foundation, before decoration, before the crystal cathedral went up, they put the altar there and began offering sacrifices their own and had to give financially so that the, there would be offerings morning and evening. And then gave money so they could build the temple. From what the meager amount they had left, they gave. And God blessed. They gave it to the Masons, and of course that's not, uh, not a secret society. Right? <laughs> that, was, uh, that was the people who worked with stones, right? So you had the Masons and the carpenters, and for the food and drink offerings and the oil. And they gave so they can get the, the logs to come down, the trees to come down, to build the temple. They had their priorities straight. They probably still didn't even have roofs over there in their houses yet. But they put the Lord's work first. 
so they could come and worship together. So they could have the forgiveness of sins through the burnt offerings. So they could be following God's word and God's will. And when we come to the Lord as well, receive his forgiveness, receive that mercy that he has upon us, it should awaken in us a desire to give back to him. And if we're not, as Paul reminds us each week, cheerful givers, it's because we tried to bypass the altar. We tried to bypass the burnt offering. Because if we've truly come into God's sanctuary, spiritually, daily, in our lives, in our walk with him, through the burnt offering, through receiving the forgiveness of sins, through seeing the Messiah's great sacrifice for us, if we go that path, it will awaken in us a great love. He first loved us, and it awakens in us a love for him, an appreciation for him. And again, if we don't have that, it's because either we didn't come through that path, we didn't accept his forgiveness, we didn't expect accept his mercy and his love, or we never really felt we needed it. We never really felt we were that bad. We still thought we were pretty good. And so we just kind of walked past his altar and said, oh, thanks for dying for me. You know, that's nice. And just continue to walk on in to get to all the gold and, and the, the menorah and the, and the showbread and, and wanting all the blessings, but not realizing our need and how important that sacrifice is that he died for us. At what great cost. That cost heaven for us we realize the immensity of that sacrifice it will awaken in us a surrender of all that we have our time and our energy and our lives and realizing that everything we have is really his and a desire to do whatever we can so that others can experience that joy of release of guilt and burden and sin and habits, and misery, worries, and fears, and anxieties. He sets us free. And that freedom is so liberating, so joyful, and joyous, that we want others to experience it as well. I mean, we see the world does that all the time. They see a movie they like, they want other people to, some amusement, oh, this was a lot of fun, you should do this also. When we truly experience the liberation that God gives to us, we'll want everyone to experience it as well. And the only reason we don't, the only reason we don't freely give, the only reason we don't tell others, is if we haven't really experienced Messiah's death as our offering for us. Maybe at one time we did, but maybe we've lost sight. Again, it needs to be a daily morning and evening experience. And if we've lost that sense of that first love experience, if we've lost that adoration towards God and appreciation of him, all we need to do is just circle back around and come back to the beginning of the sanctuary, come back before and lay it down at his feet, lay our lives at him and accept him all over again. Verse 8, and in the second month of the second year 
of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the rest of their brethren, and the Kohanim and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. So everyone comes together and they all start working. They all start in this process of building the temple giving of their finances and now giving of their talents and their abilities and their gifts. And they appoint the Levites to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. So everyone has a role, everyone, has a role, everyone has a part, and even the Levites as overseers does not make them better or more important than anyone else. Everyone's role is important. Everyone has an important role. Everyone's equal in God's work. God doesn't play any favorites. It doesn't exalt one group, one race, one people group over another, one job over another. All are important. All come together. All fit together as a puzzle. Right? You can have a thousand-piece puzzle. You put it all together, and you're missing one piece. You did all that work for nothing. Right? It doesn't look the good. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't look like it doesn't look right. You wouldn't show that off to anyone. It's missing a piece. Every piece is important, just as important as the other pieces in the puzzle. It all comes together. There's many things that won't work without just one part. There's a lot of parts of a computer or a phone that won't work at all if it's missing that one element. If your battery goes dead, it doesn't work. Right? One element is all it takes. And it doesn't operate. God wants it all to come together, for us to come together in service for him, in unity, together with him. So they began to set things up. They began to organize it. Some people say, oh, I don't believe in organized religion. And I respond, so you're the ones who believe in disorganized religion. <laughs> and it's the only two choices you got, right? Either an organized religion or a disorganized religion. There's nothing else. We see scripturally, God is a God of order. And he placed the system of Israel in an orderly setting. David set it up that way, we'll see that. And, and here they begin, they begin the foundation, they begin setting up, and they set up people to, to lead out. Some have leadership skills, some have working skills. But neither, again, neither is one better than the other, or more important than the other. It's just different roles. There are different roles. People are different. We're made differently. And everyone has a different role, but all roles are important. As Paul makes the analogy of a body, that all parts of the body are important. They all come together and they all work together in harmony together. It's absolutely amazing. Even when we're sleeping, even when we're not thinking about it, our body is doing thousands of things. Even just to breathe, it takes a lot just for that. Nose, the passageway, the lungs, and, and then taking that oxygen and dispersing it all throughout the body. Absolutely amazing. And it happens over and over and over again. Cells and all these things moving, the blood and all this moving and taking place just so that we can breathe. One breath. Or to digest one piece of food, to digest a cherry. It takes an amazing amount of work, an amazing amount of parts in our body to just digest one thing. All works together. 
We're missing just a few toes on our feet. We won't be able to walk. It all comes together. It all works together. In harmony together. And that's how God's work is. Rightly done. Verse 9, Yeshua with his sons and brothers and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the Kohanim stood with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinances of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Right? The, the Hallel. We do that responsibly at the Passover, right? We read the verse, another verse... He is good for his mercy endures forever. And the next verse, and his mercy endures forever. Right? And so he's reading the Psalms, reading responsibly. And again, lots of people. So we have the overseers, and now we have, we have the masons, and we have the carpenters, and we have those that are bringing the, the lumber, and those who are dragging the lumber from Joppa all the way up to Jerusalem, and that is a long haul. <laughs> and then you got people playing cymbals, and people playing trumpets, people playing bass guitar and lead guitar. <laughs> Various different things, all playing together, all working together. And then the singers, according to the ordinances of David, king of Israel. Hundreds of years before this, what David set up, the organization that David set up, they're still following that pattern. And all the people shouted with great joy when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So after great effort and great work, building again first the brazen altar or the, an altar for offering the sacrifices, and offering sacrifices, they begin to work on the foundation. Because a foundation is vitally important as well. You can have beautiful gold doors. And marble walls. And a platinum roof. But if you don't have a good foundation, it'll all crumble and fall. And it'll all be worthless. Foundation. They built a foundation and they praised the Lord. They stopped and gave thanks to the Lord. And as we continue in our walk with the Lord, it's good for us to stop and praise him for the things that he has done in our lives and that he's done for us and through us. So they paused and they praised the Lord, shouted for joy, because the foundation was finished. Again, foundation is so foundational, so important for building the temple, for building the nation, building the city, for building our lives. Think about our lives. In our, we, we have a career, right? People's careers, give or take 40 years, right? Give or take 40 hours a week. Right, which is what? One third or so of a week? Even less? And yet we spend close to 20 years in school just to get that career. Because we've realized as a society that education is foundational. 
That's important. It's mandatory that they go to school for certain years, a bunch of years, as we begin our lives. So we know some basic things, some math and some reading, some other things. We've decided as a, as a society that is foundational in order to be able to function well in society. In order to have a good society, we need to have educated people. And so we've made that a priority. And so for 40 years of work, again, basically part of our life, part time in our, in our weekly life, and it's full time work, 40 hours or whatever, but it's really part of our life. It's not all of our life, it's not 24 7. We spend close to 20 years. We spend almost half the amount of time that'll, that we'll end up working, depending on you know, what career you get. We feel that's important. How much more important other foundational commitments we make in our lives, like marriage, right? Marriage, till death do we part. That could be 50 or more years. And that's not 40 hours a week, that's 24-7. That's all the time. And we don't spend 20 years preparing for that. Maybe we should. Maybe there'd be less divorces if we did. We need to lay a good foundation in preparation for marriage. Be prepared, each individual needs to be prepared for that commitment in their own lives. They need to have a foundation laid in their own life of knowing who they are in the Lord, <coughs> knowing who they are in God's plan for them in society, what career, what goals, what passions, what desires, so they can find someone who matches that. But too often, people come together because they met and both agree that they like the same brand of beer. That's all they need, that's all that's in common, that's enough for them. Or that they were in the same place at the same time. And that's enough. We need to lay a good foundation. And how much more so in our walk with the Lord. Which will be throughout our lives, and hopefully throughout eternity. We need to lay a good foundation each day in our lives, in our spiritual walks with God. Stone by stone, fitting it all together, bringing God's word together, the harmony of God's word, foundational on the word of God, strong on the word of God. Just attended a funeral this morning. Someone attended our congregation in St. Petersburg. This man knew the Bible so well. I could ask him what verse, he'd quote a verse. He lived into his 90s. Wonderful man. Healthy, strong, clear mind. We need to build a foundation throughout our lives on the Word of God, on the Scriptures, on God's truth. And build up with Him. Leaning on him, Yeshua as the chief cornerstone, and then fitting together with God's family in building a foundation together as one, as we read in the other text. Coming together as one, unified together. That's what true echad, 
We say the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That Echad that comes together, a unity together. Yeshua's prayer, that last Passover, that we would be one as He is one, as He is one with the Father, and as He wants us to be one with each other, and He wants us to be at one with Him. That was the burden of His heart. His last prayers on this earth was for unity, that we'd come together, serving together, united together, that's a foundation, the temple of God, built on his word, on his truth, on love for one another, on love for him, and his love for us. So they praised the Lord, because the foundation was laid. Verse 12, but many of the Kohanim and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So some people here they had to be at least 75 years old, because we're into the second year before the foundation gets laid. Plus they had to be at least old enough to know what the old temple looked like, and we were in Babylon 70 years. So here's people 75 years and older. They made this journey 900 miles at that age, at that time. And they see the foundation and they begin to weep. Because it's nothing. And again, we're not even talking the temple yet. We're just talking the foundation. But it's nowhere near the size or the grandeur of Solomon's. And so they weep. Now, why wasn't it like Solomon's? Solomon had resources. David provided a lot of resources. Solomon had riches. And the people gave, and Solomon taxed. And they had all these resources and all these skills and all these people coming together to build the first temple. And I believe here, this second temple, God wanted it even to be even more magnificent than Solomon's. We have the blueprints in the book of Ezekiel, and I believe that's what God wanted them to build when they came back from Babylon. He said, 70 years you're going to be there, and then come back and build this thing. And it's beautiful. I mean, the details, measurements, all laid out for us. Chapter and chapter and chapter and chapter. And they came back, but not many came back. They didn't have the finance. They had the blessings of Cyrus, king of Persia. He's going to help provide finances. And some finances were given, some people gave, but not enough. Not all. Not enough workers, not enough skills, not enough resources. And so they did what they could with what they had, but we missed building Ezekiel's temple. And I believe if, if everyone would have come back, and again, they should have, we told 70 years, we should have been counting, the down, counting down the years and been ready to go, even though it didn't look like it a year prior, Babylon was still in power. But trusting by faith, God said it, he's going to do it somehow, been ready, sandals on, staff in hand, ready to go. And if we would have, exited in mass 
We would have had the blessings and the resources and the ability to build Ezekiel's temple. And I believe if we did and had the faith, God would have fulfilled what else, the other things he wrote in Ezekiel of the prince coming and the prince offering the sacrifices. The prince being the Messiah. And all history would be different. People would have received him and accepted him and somehow or another he still would have been the sacrifice for us but again it would have been a whole different setting. And all of history would be different. But we didn't. And we're no better today. We should be in heaven long before today. We should be in the New Jerusalem long before today if we, who have even more scriptures than they do and more evidence of God's love and God's grace, have been doing what we should have been doing the last 2,000 years. The gospel would have gone to the world and we'd already be in heaven. But instead, we're comfortable here in Persia. We're comfortable here in Babylon. We like our houses. We like our jobs. We like our comfort. We like our stuff. And we're not that interested in building the new Jerusalem. We give, not to the accordance to the scriptures for the most, The vast majority were just Laodicea, just lukewarm, thinking we're rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing, when in reality we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and don't even know it. And we're still here. And just as we'll see in the book of Ezra, a trouble comes upon them, and the trouble is going to come upon us as well. And I guess God will have to use that to wake us up from our condition. So, they, so these elders, they're seeing, the, it's nice, but it's not like it should be. And they begin to weep and mourn. But others, they're rejoicing and they're thankful and they're shouting for joy, so much so that you can't even tell who's yelling and who's, who's shouting, who's praising and who's crying. And they're right as well. Because they did do something. They did the best they could with what they had. They gave of their lives. They separated from Babylon. They gave their resources. They accepted the burnt offering for forgiveness of sins. They worked hard under difficult conditions. And with fears around them, they did it anyway. And they built a foundation. And they had good reason to rejoice and praise the Lord. And so both are right. And we should have that balance as well. We should be weeping that we're still here. We should be weeping that not enough is being done. And we don't have to wait for the masses. God used 11 to turn the world upside down 2,000 years ago, and he can use us. He used one man, Abraham, to build a nation. He can use us as well. 
He was one man to stand up before the pharaohs. And he can use us as well. We don't have to look outside for anything else. God can begin a, a mighty outcry and outpouring of his spirit through us, through him using us. We surrender all to him. Be used by him. So we need to be weeping. We need to be sorrowful that we're still here and praying, Lord Yeshua, come. Lord, use us, use me. Bring it together and not be content and not be satisfied until the Lord returns. And yet at the same time, we need to be thankful for what the Lord has blessed us with. We need to be thankful for what the Lord has done in us. We need to be thankful for what the Lord does through us. We need to be thankful for what the Lord does through other people. And we need to be encouragers as well. And giving thanks to the Lord. And building each other up. And not tearing them down. We need to do the best we can by God's grace with what we have available to us. And work for the Lord while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. To labor now. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And to not grow weary in well-doing. But continue on in faith and in courage and in strength in the Lord our God. So there's a balance between the two. Weeping and working. Praising the Lord. And yet realizing there's more to come. There's more to do and also in our own individual lives. We should weep that we're not at the point we are where we could be and should be spiritually. And yet at the same time be thankful for what he's doing in our individual lives as well. And so as we prepare to pray in just another few minutes, if God is bringing to your mind that you're still just comfortable in Babylon, still just here and part of this world and the world still has a big part of you, and you want to surrender that and come to the altar, come before his grace, come before his sacrifice, kneel before Calvary, and accept his forgiveness, and accept his deliverance. In a moment when we pray, you can do that. Secondly, if he's bring, brought conviction that you haven't given faithfully of your time, of your heart, of your resources, of your talents, of your gifts, your abilities, finances, then the moment when we pray, ask him to forgive you and ask him to give you his grace and his power to live fully for him and to surrender all to him. Third, if you're not doing, fitting in and using the gifts and talents that God has blessed you with. Maybe you don't even know which ones you have, but God has given everyone a talent, at least one, everyone an ability, everyone to fit together in God's work. And if you're not serving, and maybe again, some are up front, some are singing, some are tambourine, some are this, some are that, some are cymbals, some are in the kitchen, some are during the week, 
ministering where they work or ministering out in the street or witnessing to their neighbors or passing out cards or ministering in some way, shape, or form, but everyone should be a missionary for the Lord in some way, shape, or form. Behind the scenes, praying, doing various different things. And if God's convicted you that you're not doing all that he's called you to do, in a moment when we pray, again, we can come before that altar, his sacrifice, receive his forgiveness, receive his Holy Spirit, receive his power, receive his heart, his willing heart, to labor for him. Fourth, if maybe you're laboring just like an island out there on your own, but needs to be connected together in the body of believers, working together, harmony together. And if you realize your need of unity together with others, it can't be unity with one person. That's not unity. That's isolation. But unifying together, coming together, unifying together. And ask God to do that in your life. Or maybe God is revealing to you that you've surrendered all, you've come in, and right now in your life, you're doing all that he's called you to do, you've sacrificed all, there's no sin on your record. Might have been yesterday, might not be tomorrow, but right now, you want to just praise the Lord and give thanks to the Lord for what he has done in your life and what he has done in other people's lives around you and what he's doing in the congregation. And just praise the Lord and give thanks to him for the foundation that he's brought you to him, that you've accepted his sacrifice, that he's taking you step by step in his glory, day by day, feeding on his word, growing in him. Then a moment when we pray, just praise the Lord and thank him. And also, as I mentioned earlier, if you're not on a morning and evening daily devotion time, then as we pray, Commit that to the Lord and ask him to put you on it. Again, we can't do that in our own strength. We can try, but it won't last long. Ask him to wake you up every morning, to remind you every evening, and to set you on a daily devotional schedule. And if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let us come before his throne of grace to receive the help that we need in this time of need. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, we do come before you with praise and thanksgiving. We are thankful for your great sacrifice for us. We want to come before that altar and we want to surrender our lives to you just as you surrendered all for us. Thank you for doing that. Take our hearts, take our minds, take our lives. Deliver us from this world. Deliver us from the things of this world. Grow us in you. Lay your foundation in our hearts and minds, strong and secure. Build us up individually and corporately as a congregation. Unify us together. Make us whole in you. Make us servants for you. Give us generosity and faithfulness and truthfulness. Give us praise and thankfulness and thanksgiving. Live in us and out of us and use us in reaching our part of this world. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.